Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 141, Not One Living Thing is Worth You. This week, we're discussing season 5, episode 19 of Buffy, Tough Love, and the Doctor Who 2015 Christmas special, The Husbands of River Song. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so Buffy first this week. Um, yep. Tough love and kind of a tough episode, I guess. Um, it's, you know, was definitely uh, kind of a shocker in places and ends on a pretty doozy of a cliffhanger, so. Yeah. Um, Sorry about that. I actually forgot there was a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, well, it kind of just comes out of nowhere. Like, you know, I don't want to jump too far to the end, but it's it's not like a cliffhanger where you feel like, oh, it's action and then it's going to leave in the middle. It's like they're just sitting quietly having a nice moment and then bam, like, you Boom. know, the, yeah. you know, glory burst back crumbling. in. So, yeah. um, you know, definitely I'm like ready to get through the next episode of Angel so that we can watch. But um, so I want to start with, Buffy and Dawn, um, and I guess the tough love that, you know, Buffy is having to give to Dawn and both of them kind of having these, uh, issues with school and sort of trying to live what Buffy calls like normal lives after, you know, um, everything that's happened, I guess, both from the sense of Buffy having to be the parent to Dawn since losing Joyce, but also, with glory out there and things getting more and more sort of dangerous. Um, Buffy feeling like all of her energy needs to go into parenting and protecting Dawn and everything. Um, So yeah, we kind of start like with Buffy, you know, going to the professor and presumably she's going to all of them to kind of let them know, you know, that she's not going to finish the semester. Um, And at first I kind of was like, because we've had like the kind of, you know, slightly dodgy uh, college professor before um, for a second, I was sort of like, who is this person? We don't like, I was like immediately suspicious uh-huh. of like the poetry professor, but um, right. you know, that was just an assumption of mine. It doesn't end up going anywhere. It's just to sort of like, let us know that Buffy is, you know, uh, having to drop out and everything. Um And she says that, uh, you know, she's coming back in the fall. At least that's the plan. So, you know, that sort of remains to be seen. Um, And then we get the scene with Dawn at the principal's office where we find out that Dawn's been skipping school. So we've kind of seen Dawn acting out in little ways, like you pointed out the that she steals the earrings um, in the last episode, I think it was. Um, And then like her little, you know, you know, she's kind of quietly rebellious. She hasn't had like, you know, but like even this, like it's sort of, you know, she's not being openly defiant necessarily. It's like she's sneaking out of school. So she's not like, you know, she wasn't telling Buffy I'm never going to school again. It's like, she's just, you know, sneaking around and hoping that they don't 
catch her. Um, yeah, and there's the little like half truths about like school's good, but that doesn't mean that I'm at it. Um, right. So, yeah, kind of setting up this idea of Buffy as having to like, you know, be the parent and the stompy foot, um, you know, and kind of, you know, feeling the loss of Joyce in that situation of, you know, going from being the child of a mother to suddenly having to kind of mother somebody else, you know, is like a big transition. And her kind of wishing that Giles would just bring in his, you know, authority and sort of do it for her. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, it, you even get um, just even in small moments, like, uh, you know, obviously, it, as it sort of progresses, like you get, you know, right at the beginning with Buffy sort of being called into the talk to the principal and stuff. And, and you know, you still get Buffy like, oh, Dawn's a little kid and whatever, you know, but you have the principal being like, well, you know, actually, she's not. And, you know, we all know she can be more. So you get you still get that idea of Buffy thinking of Dawn as, you know, just being a little girl, you know, whatever. And that's kind of, it seems, you know, or, or the implication I think is that Dawn, some of her rebellion is even coming from that. Like she's trying to show that she's more than just a little kid that she's, you know, of course, how does she do, do that? She does it in a sort of teenagery way by, you know, being irresponsible and, mm -hmm. you know, sort of proving that you're not actually as old as you sort of claim that you are because if you were you would be doing you know you would be handling your responsibilities better um so i think that's part of it but you also see like the sense of frustration that don has so you get like the moment where um you know buffy comes out from her conversation with giles and you know sees don and the three scoobies on the floor doing a triangle and mm -hmm. you know um Buffy pretty much accuses her of lying, you know, says, don't lie to me. And, and mm -hmm. Dawn's like, I'm not. But you see, like, the change, just, like, in her attitude there. Like, here we go again. Like, it's mm -hmm. not even, like, she she doesn't try to, like, really defend herself. On She's like, oh, great, right. more of this again. Like, right. It's kind of like, what now? Yeah. Yeah. It, there, there is, you know, and then it's Willow who kind of jumps in and tries to defend what Don's doing and what they're doing like together and stuff. So you do get kind of get the sense that like, there's this, it's sort of like just going round and round and, and escalating sort of with each iteration of, you know, Don's just becoming more and more sort of immune to Buffy's, you know, controlling nature mm -hmm. um, or attitude. And, which is kind of frustrating too, because you kind of get the sense that you you hoped that they worked through some of that, like in um, mm. you know the episode right after Joyce's death, where you know at the end you have them sort of realizing that they're both kind of hurting and whatever. Right. But now you have I don't I don't know if it's quite a reversion, but maybe like a different form of 
you know, the same sort of issues that you had there of Buffy, you know, feeling like she needs to be the one in control and sort of using Dawn as the excuse. But I don't know that that's actually the case, like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of subconsciously or, or psychologically or whatever. Like it, it does, it definitely seems to be, you know, that, well, I, I don't know if Slayer attitude is, is the right way to phrase it, but almost that same kind of thing of like, well, I'm the responsible party, so I'm the one who has to take care of it. And like, even to the point where she doesn't tell Dawn what's going on, like, yeah, you know, until it's sort of just, she it snaps and she sort of blurts it out like that, hey, if I can't get you to go to school, then you're not even going to be able to live with me. Like, I won't even be allowed to watch you and have you here anymore. Yeah. Um, which you kind of get the sense that like, maybe if she had done that right, you know, from the beginning of like, they, they go out of, you know, the principal's office and out of school and Buffy's like, okay, so here's what the principal just told me. Like, mm. you know, here's what's going on. Like we, you, you know, maybe if it was more of, a we're in it together kind of thing than, mm-hmm. than, uh, you know, I'm the parent. Cause she's not right. the parent. And that's part of the problem from right, Don's right. perspective is that right. there is no parent. Yeah, yeah. 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 That like Buffy's not her mother, like their mother's gone. And so, you know, for Buffy to start acting like that, you know, first of all, like she's, she's not cause like Joyce didn't act this way. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when was Joyce ever this strict? Even with Buffy, like, before Don was there. Like, she was never, well, I shouldn't say never. But, like, you know, accepting, like, the uh, moo, you know, stuff. uh, (laughs) You know, uh, uh, you know, Joyce was pretty lenient, actually, with a lot. And understanding. And, you know, kind of give Buffy a lot of the benefit of the doubt. And yeah, there were times when that wasn't the case, but um, for the most part, you know, she was a lot more understanding than Buffy is being right now. So, um, so yeah, like that's, you know, that seems to be where they are. Um, But you all, I mean, like at the same time, you sort of, you understand the concern that Buffy has in that, you know, like she says, you know, Willow's like, you know, I get it. You're stressed out. And Buffy's like, it's more than just being like stressed out. Like there's, Mm -hmm. you you know, I have to, I have to act this way. She, whether that's true or not, she feels that she has to act in a certain way, you know, and, and have these sort of strict guidelines and doing things like, I mean, Dawn's what, 14 or something. So like, you know, you know, making a chart and putting gold stars on it. Like that's the stuff you do for like fourth graders or third mm-hmm. graders or, you know, even younger. Like, yeah. it's not the kind of thing you do when you're in high school. So like not even really, you know, and rightfully so like Buffy's not a mother. So like you wouldn't necessarily expect her to like have that insight or whatever. Like until now, how much did she actually pay attention to, the way that Joyce was bringing Don up. Like, right, right. She doesn't know. And she didn't have the opportunity to sort of grow with that learning either. Now, I mean, technically Joyce didn't either because Don only has been around for a little while. But, um, 
Right, it but feels from their like it. subjective <laughs> from, point from, of view, yeah, yeah. From, from their memories and stuff, you know, that's the case. So anyway, you know, I guess I'm sort of maybe belaboring the point, but it just, you know, on the one hand, you can understand why Buffy feels that way, but you can also see, you know, Dawn's point of like, this is kind of stupid and, you know, and, and then there's the whole key thing that right, like adds to it. Yeah, no, that's kind of what I was thinking, too, is, like, whether that's, like, the tension between the kind of magical side and the mundane side, or or that's, like, the kind of metaphor crossing over or whatever. It's, like, it's not just about, like, Dawn getting taken away. Yes, that's a terrible thing for a kid, you know, to get given to a relative that they don't really know or to a foster family or something. But, you know, this is kind of, there's so much more implied in that threat because of the glory plot. So it's like literally like a matter of life and death too of, you know, Buffy's not just desperate to make this work so that they can stay together as a family, but like our very lives depend on, you know, Dawn's ability to be successful in school you know, which is, like, even more pressure than normal for a kid, like, you know, to be doing well in school. Um, so, you well, know, and that, like, and that both creates more pressure and tension for Dawn and also, again, kind of, you know, not if not justifies, at least sympathizes Buffy's kind of, you know, very, very hard-nosed, you know, attitude. Yeah. But also, like, with Buffy... Like, even if you can kind of say, well, she doesn't know what she's doing and she's learning it all for the first time and doesn't know how to approach this, it's also like that kind of inability or refusal to pay attention to even what might work. You know, mm -hmm. like, that's the big thing is, like, it's not even that you have to teach John everything or force her to learn. It's like, if only she had appreciated what Willow was able to do with helping Dawn, you know, how much, you know, of the repercussions of the episode would have been, you know, changed because, you know, right. there's somewhere where, you know, Willow has the skill, you know, Willow's been pretty much since we've known her, like in the whole show has been like a tutor for other students, like who are struggling academically. And so, you know, but the idea that Buffy is so focused on the strictness of the parenting that she doesn't even recognize when Willow and Dawn are telling her, okay, this is something that could actually work. Um, she can't even, you know, hear it. Um, yeah. And like, I hadn't just hearing myself say that I hadn't really thought about it in the sense of like the cause and effect of everything. And I'm not saying like, I wouldn't go so far as to blame Buffy for what happens to Tara, but there is a sense in which like everything does kind of follow from that. Like the fight between yeah. Willow and Buffy leads to the conversation Willow has with Tara, which leads to their fight, which leads to Tara being alone. So there's kind of that, that oh, there's always that ongoing thing of when the Scoobies aren't, in unison with each other, that's when bad things happen. It's like, yeah. you know, if they're separated and not in sync, that's never good. So, you know, it Buffy as that kind of 
yeah, maybe you're the slayer, you're the leader, but part of the leadership is recognizing the strengths of other people, mm. you know, and saying, okay, yeah, we have to protect Dawn. And part of the way we protect it is working with her in a way that helps her and doesn't further kind of shut her down. Um, right. So. Yeah. Um, and the one thing, so I wanted to point out to, um, you know, when you're talking about like sort of the fate of the world depends on Dawn going to school, <laughs> like, um, yeah. which is like never actually the case for like real world children. Right. Like, but right. in a sense, but it can feel that way. <laughs> well, it can. And in a sense, though, I mean, there is a good. Yeah, I mean, there's there's maybe not a hundred percent of the time, like there are certainly some instances where maybe not going to college or not, you know, even perhaps not going to high school is actually in the best interest of the kid. But that's like the rare exception. In most cases, you know, mm -hmm. getting a good education and getting, you know, whatever is actually can, can literally mean the world to someone. It can mean the difference between, you know, getting a good job or, you know, at least having a decent chance at, you know, having a good life and, um, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, there is, you know, the metaphor sort of works there. But the other thing I wanted to point out, too, is um, the difference. Uh, so the the options that are sort of presented, um, you know, Don asked, well, if, if they take me away, like, where will I go? Mm -hmm. And like... There's also, well, one that sort of reveals the different viewpoints of Buffy and Dawn, again, of Buffy's like, they'll take you away. Well, what's her concern there? That they'll take Dawn away or that they'll take the key away? Mm -hmm. um, and okay, like, I, I think Buffy genuinely loves Dawn and cares for Dawn. So I think I think it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, but there's also that aspect of if they take the key away, where's you know how can i protect the key from glory mm -hmm. you know kind of to what you were saying i think but also like yeah. you know don asked where will they go and buffy's like well i don't know you know maybe to dad who let's face it we haven't seen the guy in years right you know and like he didn't right. even that might as well be foster care and and he didn't even know or you know didn't even call back anyway after right. you know uh you know buffy says she tried to get a hold of him um he was in like spain or something you know what i mean so like potentially not even in the same country is he living there is he just staying there was it a business trip like you know we don't even know like where he is in the world so mm -hmm. like how's buffy supposed to protect on then mm -hmm. um and you know per, you know hide the key um and same thing with a foster family like you know buffy can't just like go over anytime she wants and what happens if she's like what she going to stalk the house and make sure Gloria doesn't get there? Well, then that's suspicious, you know? So there's just like yeah. all these different scenarios where it's just, you know, from the, from those perspectives as well, not, not a good thing for Dawn to be, you know, taken away, whatever that might end up meaning. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, just, just from the, just from that sort of idea of, you know, well, and also, actually, one other point is that, you know, if Dawn suddenly leaves, that's a signal to Glory of like, oh, mm -hmm. are they like secreting away the person who's the key? Like, 
suddenly yeah. this person is leaving who, you know, was really important to Buffy or whatever. So, um, you know, they already know that, uh, that glory is looking for the key. And I, and I think they know at this point that glory knows it's human, right. Cause, cause she took spike. Um, yep. Yep. so, and, and because of the whole stuff with, you know, Giles capturing the minion and whatever. So like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just even the fact that like, if, I, and I don't, I'm not saying that like Buffy was thinking of this sort of lucidly because I feel like there's a lot of emotion in it too. But, you know, you could almost even see an argument being made of, well, if, um, you know, if you get taken away to glory, that might look like we're sending you away, which could put a target yeah. on you with the added effect of it then becomes harder to defend you uh, because Buffy's not there and you know, the other Scoobies presumably wouldn't be there either um, right. to help protect on. So, you know, right. those sort of additional layers to, uh, you know, to the fact that Dawn being sent away wherever or taken away wherever is a bad thing. Right. Which I feel like is another kind of nice metaphor too, of like, that's why normality becomes such a, important thing like you know it's important to for like the glory plot to keep up appearances and as normal like don't do anything that's at all suspicious or out of the ordinary or puts you out you know away from the group or at risk or anything but like that kind of you know so there's like a that's like a purely strategic reason why that's important but um I feel like that kind of works too with this whole like, okay, we're a family, you know, trying to recover from like the death of a parent and like this emphasis Mm. on just pretend everything is normal until it is, you know, and, and that pressure to act, to get back to how things like should be, you know, so, you know, we can't be having any, you know, uh, you know, no like risk taking or rebellion or, you know, rule breaking or anything like that. It's just got to be, you know, uh, you know, everything that Buffy can do to sort of forced on into at least pretending that everything is exactly like it should be. Um, which probably, you know, I mean, I feel like, like you said, they had that episode where they kind of reconciled at least to a certain extent. So it's not like they're completely repressed, but like, you know, any sense of pretending that this is a normal situation can't be like very uh, healthy for anybody, you know, like there's, you know, that's just not going to be the case, you know, mm-hmm. this early for them. So, um, but like, and even you kind of said before, like with their, that moment where they sort of seem to understand each other. I feel like what they really resolved there was Dawn's, like the issue of Buffy's love for Dawn, you know, like kind of really confirming that Buffy really does love and value Dawn. And, you know, if she's trying to be the, you know, the responsible one, it's only because she has to be. Whereas Mm -hmm. I don't know that that necessarily dealt with the issue of Dawn's kind of, uh, her feeling treated like, you know, 
the kid or not the full, like, you know, grown up in this situation. Sure. Which is, which is, which is what she's still dealing with here. Like, that's why, like you said, even if she's going about it in a childish way, that's what she's reacting against is being treated like, you know, a little kid who gets told to do everything and can't make any decisions, you know, for herself. So, you know, I feel like she definitely, they definitely seem more, um, she seems more accepting of the fact that Buffy really does love her in this episode. She's not necessarily doubting that anymore, but I don't know that there's been real resolution about their kind of appropriate relationship to each other in terms of like how much responsibility can Dawn be given or how much information can she be trusted with and everything. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I do think you get the sense that like in some, in some respects, this is just sort of normal teenage boundary pushing too, because when, when it comes down to brass tacks, like when Buffy says they'll take you away, like, why should I care? Because they'll take you away. Like you, you suddenly realize like, Oh, Dawn's sort of nihilistic. Nothing matters because I'm a cosmic mm-hmm. key. Actually, isn't how she feels. Like she does actually care about Buffy, and yeah, you know. So her, when she realizes that, oh, there really is sort of a severe penalty here. Not and and something like not even one that Buffy's doing. Like it's. From their perspective, it's objective, right? I mean, it might be technically subjective because it might be like, you know, social workers or someone who takes her away. But right, but there are laws that that dictate from their yeah. Yeah. From Buffy and Dawn's perspective, like neither of them have control over that. So when it comes down to it, and and you know, sort of, I think with that comes a realization by Dawn that oh my behavior is like actually Buffy's looking is looking out for me in this instance. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems even though she seems to be maybe being a jerk about it, it's, there's actually a really good reason for why she's, you know, trying to get me to do these things. And, you know, whether that has a long-term effect or not is remains to be seen, but at least in the moment, like, the severity of it does seem to like register with her. And, and again, like her, you know, it, it's that normal teenage thing of, okay, I was pushing boundaries and, oh, wait a minute, this is a solid concrete wall yeah. and I can't push any further. So yeah, maybe I should pay attention rather than butting my head up against it. Right. Right. I also, sorry, were you going to no, say No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I want to make sure too, we talk about, um, and uh that we talk about spike and dawn like because yeah. when um you know tara gets taken or they think tara's taken or whatever um you know buffy sort of sends dawn with spike and and you know they go into like the mm-hmm. caves or whatever wherever they yeah. are and uh there's like a whole scene between the two of them um which is, you know, it's kind of interesting because I feel like, um, and I know it started before like Joyce uh, died and stuff, but like 
Spike and Don have almost taken the role of what Joyce and Don had. Of yeah, that sort yeah, of I've kind of noticed that. Yeah, um, right. There's a kind of uh, kindred spirit quality to it. Yeah, you know that they they seem to be able to talk more honestly with each other than you know either of them really can with anybody else. Like there's a a, a weird kind of understanding there. Um, sure. Um, and, and even just like, you know, like before when, um, you know, they went to the magic shop and were like looking up the information about, like, basically when Dawn figured out that she was the key, right. They were looking up the information Mm -hmm. about like the snake and the, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff that was happening. Um, you know, like even from that moment where like Spike was like, you know, you know, Dawn was saying, oh, well you'd do anything to like you know make Buffy happy with you and 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 Spike was like no you know you don't tell her like at all what's going on mm-hmm. so I do think too that there's almost a, a sort of complicity you know between them um, you, you know more so than just even like you were saying kindred spirits I think that that is there too but I think there's sort of that complicity of uh, Spike's also someone who's sort of keeping things from Buffy and like maybe cares for Buffy in his own way, but isn't sort of bound to her. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? In, in the way that maybe Dawn wishes (laughs) she wasn't bound Mm -hmm. to Buffy, Um, even though she might still sort of deep down inside care about her and, and that sort of thing. So I I do feel like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that is just a a resonance of their kindred spirits, but I I do feel like there's like even more of a complicity in there as well. um, Sure. As an aspect of that. Yeah, well, and and there's just the idea, too, of Spike being, continuing to be more and more trusted with, you know, uh, not just as a member of the group, but with Dawn, you know, like with the most important aspect of, you know, the most important thing in Buffy's life, Um, which has been the case before, like she's had him watch over or she sent Dawn and Joyce to, you know, hide in his crypt and everything. But now it's like, you know, Joyce is gone. So, you know, Dawn's even more exposed than she was before. And we've been through the whole, like, you know, ordeal with his, you know, uh, declaration of his feelings for Buffy. And Mm -hmm. we've had the Buffy bot and like all these things, which kind of like, if anything should have like destroyed her, you know, trust for him at this point. But, you know, coming out on, especially after at the end of the last episode and realizing um, that even after, you know, all of the torture from Glory, he didn't talk, you know, must have proved something to Buffy because, you know, yeah, she's, you know, letting him be responsible for Dawn, which, you know, yeah, and I mean, says a lot. There is, there is also the, you know, as disgusting as the Buffy bot was and all of that, like mm-hmm. there is the fact that he still has the chip, right? So he can't hurt Dawn, but he can protect her. And, and like you said, like we've already seen that he will protect her, right. you know, to within inches of his life. So, mm-hmm. or his undeath. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, I want to get on to 
Willow and Tara soon, but um, Dawn's, you know, thing that she kind of confesses to him too about, um, you know, feeling like a magnet for, you know, all of this evil and pain and everything was, you know, pretty resonant. Like on the one hand, you feel like there's some, you know, confusion going on there of, you know, Joyce's death was natural. So, you know, you kind of feel like she's including every bad thing that's happening. You know, that's kind of what, what we do is like, I know there's times where you feel like that everything is going wrong in your life and you're kind of like, what did I do to deserve this? And really, well, it's not necessarily something that you did. Sometimes that's just how life is. Um, but when you're at the center of it, it can feel like you've done something to either deserve or cause, you know, all of the terrible things that are happening. Um, you know, and for Dawn, I mean, there's an aspect of truth to that with Tara being targeted for, you know, something that she isn't. Um, you know, it would be pretty tough for Dawn to not come out of that feeling guilty about that. Um, yeah, although, I mean, you know, th there is, you know, I mean, it's not like any of us has a control over who or what we are, right? I mean, I, I mean, to some extent, like we can control our actions, but like you don't control the fact that you were born or, you know, right, that you right. are born with a certain genetic makeup or whatever. So, you know, I mean, same with Dawn, like she, she doesn't control the fact that one, that she used to be this sort of mystical energy and that two, you know, the monks did something to change her essence, you know, and make her human. So, mm -hmm. you know, there is why, I mean, like, I agree with you. That's clearly like how she's feeling. There's also like, we shouldn't just accept that that's how she necessarily should be feeling. Like there's definitely- No, and I, I, I don't think um, so at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's definitely that, that aspect of, okay. And, and I think, you know, uh, I don't know that Spike quite gets to it, you know, at the root of it, but he does sort of say on the surface, he's like, you know, look, I'm, you know, I'm not good and I'm okay. Like, you know, like, first of all, I'm evil from a, you know, sort of objective standpoint of being a vampire. And so I know a little thing or two about people who are evil and you're not, you know, right. evil. <laughs> and then also, you know, the fact that I am a vampire and I'm, evil and yet i've you know still done arguably good things like mm -hmm. you know there seems to be uh some at least some gray area you know between mm -hmm. sort of those two extremes if you're not willing to accept that you're good that doesn't me mean that you necessarily have to accept that you're evil um, right and and beyond the kind of like um kind of cosmic versions of good and evil too. Like when Dawn says, I'm not evil, but I don't think I can be good. There's also, we're like, there's also the resonance back to her, like efforts with like schoolwork and rebellion. Like there's just a sense of like, can I be good at all? Can I do, mm. you know, on the very basic human level of, can I do what Buffy wants me to do or what, you know, everybody needs me to do like, just from a, you know, 
very mundane level of going to school and doing well enough and growing up and all those sorts of things. Sure. Um, but there also is the question of what is the key, which we still don't exactly know. So I think like when she says, maybe I'm not evil, but I don't think I can be good. I think there's also the question of like, what is she at all? Like it literally, sure. you know, um, is the key a good or an evil thing or is it something neutral um, or something else entirely? I don't know. So, um, yeah. Okay. So to talk about Willow and Tara, um, we kind of touched on the Willow and Buffy sort of tension and everything. Um, yeah. Or at least like Buffy's side of that, of not really maybe being willing to hear Willow out in areas where she might be able to help um, and kind of shutting her down. And then, you know, Willow, Willow's point of view being that she keeps offering, you know, not advice or telling Buffy what to do, but she's trying at least to offer support or suggestions or whatever. And, you know, being told, you know, you don't understand um, because she hasn't, you know, which I don't think Willow's trying to say she understands. All she's doing is offering her support sure. and, you know, when, you know, and, and feeling like she's being told that, uh, because she doesn't understand, she can't even help, I guess is like the implication. Or, um, or at least that's how she feels. That's how she feels. Um, which again, intended or not is also coming from, uh, Tara, you know, because, you know, Tara as the one who's been through what Buffy's been through, you know, is, you know, pretty open about the fact that, okay, I have been there. I know how it feels. I've had this experience. So, you know, I guess that's Willow's frustration is feeling like that's the message from both sides is sort of just kind of sit there quietly and we'll tell you, you know, when and how to help or voice your opinion or whatever. Um, and I guess it really is the first fight we've seen with Willow and Tara. Um, at least they say it is, and I can't think of any other. Um, I think we can trust them. I think we can trust that that's true. I mean, there was some tension of uh, when Oz came back, but that wasn't really a fight. That was more just like a moment of them not being sure what their relationship was. It wasn't like an argument necessarily. Um, sure. Sure. So, um, but yeah, and, and it kind of becomes about more than, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if they're going to have the fight, it's going to be about everything they've ever bottled up ever, you know, <laughs> like, right. so what, what starts as, you know, talking about venting about Buffy and talking about how Willow feels sort of put down by them you know, then becomes about her uh, witchcraft and how uh, frighteningly fast she's progressing with that and her kind of taking offense at Tara, even describing her as frightening. Um, and then it kind of morphs into questions about their relationship and is Willow even, um, you know, how committed are they to each other? Is this just a sort of you know, Tara makes the comment about 
Willow changing a lot. So there's the question of, is this just the phase? And Mm -hmm. they're not really, you know, is Tara the one who's really established in everything? And Willow's just sort of, you know, experimenting and figuring things out, whether that's, you know, uh, her sexuality or her witchcraft or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, yeah. by the time, you know, it's one of those things of like, it just snowballs and suddenly it's about everything you've ever wanted to fight about and just never, you know, yeah, never really got to that point. Um, um, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's interesting too how it sort of gets started because um, you almost feel like, you know, Willow is just sort of, throwing maybe a mini temper tantrum and just sort of expecting Tara to take it like to be the, you know, not that the vitriol is necessarily at Tara, but you know, to be that sort of like, uh, you know, quintessential listening ear of the partner, you know, and not really, uh, yeah, necessarily say anything back. So I think, you know, part of it too, is just that, that Tara agrees with Buffy and like, or at mm-hmm. least maybe agrees. Or at least understands where, yeah. Like yeah. she, she understands her and that's, so you almost get the sense that all the frustration that Willow's having in that moment and as trying to express against Buffy gets then sort of projected onto Tara because, you know, Oh, Tara is another person mm-hmm. who lost her mother and, you know, like I, I don't, I don't know that I could point to any moment where Tara has been sort of, what she call herself, knowledge girl or whatever, you know, right, about right. the whole um, losing a parent thing. And she even tries to play it off. Well, I'm not an expert. I just lost the one, um, you know. But like at the same time, you know, there's, there's like, what's Willow really angry at? Like, is she actually angry at Buffy? I, I mean. Uh, like I don't think she's angry that she hasn't lost a parent so that she could you know experience that obviously that's ridiculous but you know Mm -hmm. there there is that sense of you know is Willow's sort of anger here justified or is she sort of also engaging in her own sort of willful uh uh lack of understanding I I don't know if that's quite the right way to say that but sort of willful lack of empathy maybe um yeah yeah you know in that moment uh and not to say that like buffy is necessarily right in the way that she's acting either i think they're both kind of being impetuous and uh Mm -hmm. you know not you know sort of willfully misunderstanding each other in certain ways um but i feel like of all the people involved like tara seems to have been the most genuine (laughs) you know uh and and at least desirous of being helpful and so for her to sort of not immediately um, side with Willow and, you know, to sort of say, well, I can at least understand, you know, where Buffy's coming from. You know, that seems like the height of, you know, uh, uh, traitorness. What's what's the right word for that? Uh, you know, from Willow's... Treachery. Friend, treachery, thank you. Uh, from traitorness? Where did that come from? Uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, from Willow's perspective that like, oh, you know, you were supposed to just be quiet and listen to me rant right, at right. you. Um, and now you're not. And so I feel like there's an aspect of that, too. But it is too kind of funny how it how it gets started, because it's 
you know, the two of them have always been so very polite together and uh they even still like, fight kind of politely <laughs> yeah like it never becomes this it's never like a screaming match it's just no you know it's 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 misfree it's like slight misunderstandings of each other and yeah and apologizing while you're taking offense and like it's all very like passive aggressive and <laughs> well well and there's a, there's like the early attempt anyway to like be really adult about it and and right. you know Tara's really like sensitive like yeah, yeah Tara's yeah. like no no if if I said something wrong let me know or else I'll say it often and in public like you know the, that whole idea right. of you know we're adults now and we can we can argue right. uh sort of dispassionately and right. and you know each hear each other what we're saying, but it turns out that that's not the case. And, you know, then Terry is frustrated. Oh, I'm saying everything wrong. And, you know, Willow sort of gets frustrated by the, you know, use of the word frightened and, you know, was it a Freudian slip or not? Or, you know, all of those kinds of things. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it never, it certainly doesn't get into like shouting and throwing things either physically or magically, but, uh, right. but know, that wouldn't really be their style. But yeah, I mean, it, and you can see that for each of them, it affects them both, you know, just as much. And so, yeah, you know, I, I don't know what to say more than that, but um, it, it is sort of funny the way it gets started, but I, you know, that's not to dismiss sort of the seriousness of, of it to them or anything. No. And I think part of the, that politeness too, could just be that the fact that this is the first fight and that you're still figuring out, you know, what your relationship is and the boundaries and everything and wanting to both wanting to have the fight and say what you think, but also being very, you know, careful about the whole thing. Like, I think a lot of, you know, what's kind of at stake in this episode is Willow's like that question of Willow committing to Tara, like, you know, that's kind of what she does by the end is, is say, no matter what that I'm sticking with this, um, you know, but you kind of feel like when she says to Tara, you know, Oh, accuses her of thinking that Willow is just experimenting and, and maybe this isn't going to last and everything. I feel like that's maybe not Tara that's worrying about that so much, you know, and that's not to say that um, Willow doesn't want to be in the relationship or doesn't care about Tara, but there's maybe again, a little bit of the projecting going on of her, maybe her being more worried about how quickly she's changing and what it all means than, you know, cause Tara never says anything about their relationship per se. Like it seems like she's purely talking about her magical ability. Um, and then Willow kind of extrapolates out from that, like, yeah. oh, I'm changing in so many ways and you don't trust me, which seems like a bit of a leap. So, but, um, but and, Tara and doesn't, dis- Tara doesn't deny it. And, she doesn't. That's true. And, and, that's true. and there is, at least I sort of get a sense that, you know, that uh, Tara does sort of acquiesce, you know, to that that point that willow makes like there there does seem to be a sense that um you know what does she say you know you're you're changing so fast i don't know where you're heading and and it is ambiguous is she talking about changing as a witch like growing stronger magic or mm-hmm. 
changing, you know, in her sexuality, maybe, maybe Tara is just a stepping stone to like a more serious relationship with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, At least, you know, and, and given sort of Tara's personality from the beginning of being sort of a little more meek and a little more timid and a little less confident in herself, Mm -hmm. like, it's not surprising necessarily that she has doubts. I mean, it's not surprising that anyone has doubts. All people have doubts about things. So, you know, given that Willow, you know, is sort of progressing so much in one area, like, is it is it maybe that far-fetched for her to think that Willow would grow beyond her in other ways too? You know, I again like just given her personality it's it's easy to understand where she could think that whether it's true or not Mm um uh there was another point i was gonna make but i can't remember what it was off the top of my head now so okay um so yeah then tara gets attacked in the park (laughs) by glory of yeah. course. So you have the first big fight during and now, the multicultural fair. The multicultural fair, um, yeah, and you have the like reversal of oh, she feels someone hold her hand and smiles, and then nope, surprise, it's glory. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought of that before, but it does kind of make sense that Tara, as the new one, would be like a target because. Dawn is new, but they have all these memories, these kind of inserted memories of, you know, her having been, um, uh, you know, in their lives. So Glory and her kind of minions wouldn't necessarily pick well, up on that. I, and um, actually, that's a good point. I want to I want to hold on that for a minute before we get into more with Tara, because yeah. with the... You know, obviously, you know, uh, Glory sent out her minions. And we saw, you know, with the last episode, like, they thought it was Spike because he was new in Buffy's life. Right. Of course, that was right. the whole Buffy bot, you know, or, stuff. Or, she, like, it was because she protected him the most. But it right. was because it was really the Buffy. Like, I like how they're just blindly, like, going and carelessly going through all of Buffy's loved ones. Just like, oh, it's this one. No, oh, it's this yeah. one. <laughs> like, um, but, you know, the interesting aspect about uh what you were saying at least interesting to me um is so yeah like you know the 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 logic of oh it's got to be someone new you know because you know glory presumably is new like we don't know exactly when glory came but we kind of understand that like when dawn appeared is probably the same time like glory was banished so you know, mm-hmm. they've probably been in this world about the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. But, well, one, we don't, I guess we don't definitely know that for sure. Because there's like, don't forget the knights of Byzantium are still out there too. Um, you know, and so like Glory sort of dealt with them in the past and, and whatever. And there were these monks and all that. Right. So the question becomes, is... You know, well, one, again, if we sort of assume that when Dawn appeared and Glory, you know, came, I mean, maybe that's not a good assumption, but um, what the monks did, you know, was it that they just hid the key and, like, sort of changed all the memories of, like, the people who, you know, 
Don would or should know? Or mm -hmm. did they actually, like, were they able to change Glory's memories, too? So, like, maybe, you know, to Glory, Don has just always been there as well for as long as she knows or was around or whatever. Right. Like, right. so... That's... I don't know why, but that's the way I took it. was like... Yeah. This is, like, with the perfect camouflage because... As far as Glory can tell, Dawn has always been there as well. Um, and, right, and so she's above and so suspicion. She, she knows she's looking for something new, but she can't know what she's looking for because, like, her, it's being, like, deflected onto somebody else. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the way that I, you know, was interpreting it. I don't know if I intentionally did that, but... Well, and, and especially... It's you know, because when you think about it, like, I mean, Tara isn't all that new now. Like, she's been around for more than a season. So it's it's not right. like, like, she was there before Glory got to Sunnydale, at least as far as we know. Again, we don't right, right. technically know how long Glory's been there. But, you know, so for, for, for her to be sort of picking out Tara, um, you know, but again, this is all information coming to her through this sort of unreliable method of her minions too so right, right and that's why i say it feels kind of careless in the sense that like it doesn't seem like the this is a heavily researched and informed opinion it feels like let's make a list of everybody in buffy's life and go through them in like most like most to least likely order of like you know sure like okay spike didn't work out so all right who else do we have well this one has been here the shortest amount of time. So do her next. And which then the fact, you know, you know, which the fact that like, they don't think of Don either sort of even adds to like Don's personality as sort of the invisible one, right? The one, <laughs> yeah. the, yeah. you know, not only she's sort of like invisible to Buffy and the Scoobies and, you know, whoever else, but like, even to like the one person who's actually like looking for her and wants to yeah. find her. Yeah. Um, no. And she's like talked to her too. Like they had right. like, they've even like spent time together. Like it's not like she just hasn't met her before. Um, like, you know, she's been in her presence more than once. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Right. But Glory doesn't seem to have the same ability to see the key as, you know, her victims do. Right. Right. Um, yeah, so speaking of that, yeah, she figures out that, you know, Tara isn't the key. And then, um, you know, the one thing Spike had going for him was that as a vampire, she couldn't uh, eat his brain, is what she said. But Tara doesn't have that same protection. So, no. but but as the same thing as Spike, Tara, you know, is given the chance to talk and you know, refuses, um, you know, and she's, you know, uh, a lot less, um, you know, I'm not saying it, it, that's not a sacrifice for Spike, but like, he's a vampire. He's a fairly violent dude. He's been in a lot of fights. He's been being beat up a lot. Like, you know, it, Tara is this kind of very gentle person, you know, who you wouldn't necessarily expect to stand up to the threat of, you know, torture that way, but she does. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's very sad. I mean, at least she didn't kill her. Maybe 
they'll find a cure. Um, well, is, and there's, you know, what I'm, what I'm hoping, but, uh, you, you get that right. Just like they did for Amy the rat. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you get the sense that, well, you get the description from Glory, right, of what it's like, and um, yeah. which I found really interesting too, because it seems like she knows. Yeah, it seems like she kind of like stares off into the middle distance, like this is my own personal hell, and well, maybe that's what she's doing is like, because she she talks about sucking the brains like she needs to feed on people, and it's like, okay, does she? Is she like giving her, is she feeding herself with energy from other people? Or is it like she, if she doesn't feed on them, she's in that position. And so she's somehow like transferring it over to them or something. I mean, I don't know the mechanics of it, but it sounds like she knows what she's talking about. And I don't know that we ever get like a clear, you know, answer to that. But, um, you know, there is a period of time when she's not herself either, you know, like, you know, right. when, when Ben is there. And so is that, is that what happens to the other personality when it's, mm. you know, sort of suppressed, you know, so like when Ben is there is glory sort of put into that state and vice versa. Um, and could that be sort of the reason for her own, you know, psychosis <laughs> we'll right, call it right. you know because there have been times where we've seen glory acting pretty nutty um and 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 doing that you know brain suck thing does seem to sort of help uh mm-hmm. you know her break out of that so is that you know yeah like you said like is that maybe transferring or she's you know somehow using you know the energy to sort of prevent her own sort of entrapment into that noisy little dark room uh, right, as she describes right. it. But, yeah. Yeah, and and from the you know, a nice echo too of the of Dawn's speech about um worrying that she's bad and everything like even in that speech um you know, Glory talks about uh there are things that in the dark that need to hurt you because you're bad. Like mm. you know, it's not just that like you're trapped in a really terrible place, it's that like you're being punished for, you know, uh, you know, who, you know, whatever, who you are, or what you've done or something. Um, yeah, but Will or uh, not Willow, Tara uh, doesn't talk. So go yeah. Tara. I mean, that that sucks. But, you know, she sort of proves, you know, right. if, if we didn't trust that she was pretty awesome already. She sort of definitely proves herself there. Well, Um, and you sort of get the sense that Glory might not be the kind of person who would let her go anyway, even if she had talked. (laughs) Sure. sure. Um, So, yeah. Um, So I I remembered what I was going to say earlier um, was I wanted to, to, to bring up sort of before we get, I know we, you had maybe a couple things about the Scoobies and, and Ben, um, mm-hmm. But before we get into that, the the title, Tough Love, mm-hmm. um, I know we don't always talk about it, but um, there's sort of two connotations there, I think, that as with a number of other titles that we've, um, you know, discussed, obviously, like sort of the, the front of center one uh, is, you know, Tough Love, you think of um, 
like sort of how Buffy's being in the beginning with sort of putting her foot down and, and, um, you know, sort of telling Dawn, this is, this is like it is, you know, and, and you need to, uh, do what I say because I love you kind of thing. Um, but there's also a sense in that of, you know, love and being in love is tough. Like it's not just easy peasy. Mm. And I think that reflects more on the, the Willow and Tara side of the story of, you know, one, it's their first fight. And so, you know, everyone has sort of, you know, goes through that when they're in, you know, relationships or whatever. Um, and so obviously that's tough, but also, um, you get the sort of decision factor of Willow at the end of, mm-hmm. you know, realizing that, you know, how much terror really does mean to her and that, um, you know, what, what does she say? She says, you're my always, you know, and that, that her love is there and that it's not a, pa- you know, sort of, I, you know, and who knows if Tara's can understand her, you know, at this point or what she knows or understands, but, um, you know, to those fears of that she expressed earlier of she doesn't know, you know, where Willow's going and how fast she's going and all of that. Like this is Willow sort of saying, I'm here and I'll always be here. And yeah, for um, and, and recognizing that like, it's not going to be easy. I mean, Tara's mentally unstable at this point, like, you mm-hmm. know, so that's, you know, even, even sort of to the point where they're like feeding her and, you know, um, you, you know, trying to calm her or not calm really isn't the right word, but sort of soothe her when she's trying to express herself and can't, um, which is, you know, Tara from the beginning has always sort of had a speech problem with stuttering and that kind of thing and has sort of gotten to a point where she was beyond that or at least a bit, um, at least she wasn't doing it like every sentence, <laughs> um, you know, and now it's like even worse. Like now she, right. you know, it's not even that it takes her time to get her thoughts out, but she can't like when she tries to express herself, it comes out as gibberish. And so right. um, that's tough too. You know, that's yeah. tough love in a different way. Um, right. Right. So, yeah, I just wanted to sort of, mention that that there's sort of but those also, two threads of and i feel like there's a third potentially a third kind of pun in there too of true love being like a tough thing like you know like it's not something that like not just tough in that it's difficult but if you know love is like sturdy and not mm. breakable you know that like even you know like at the end of it, when you kind of have Willow and Buffy basically giving up their lives to take care of the other one. Like, like you said, like, like at least how she is right now, Tara's at the point where she would need like full-time care and attention. Um, Like it's not, it's not just like Willow's committing to a partner for the rest of her life, but, you know, committing to, you know, dedicating her life to, take care of Tara no matter what that like there's a toughness to that like to make even make that decision and to not you know let that uh sort of rip the whole relationship apart um you know there's like kind of this resolution between you know Buffy and Willow where these are our girls and we're going to take care of them you know 
mm. no matter how you know bad the circumstances um sure and okay so the last thing i do i don't know that there's a ton to say about it because it's mostly like action but before we go on to the scoobies um i do want to at least mention willow's like revenge you know drive with glory um you know and how that sort of willow's sort of response to this is to go in sort of guns blazing and mm. you know and you know kind of with some expectation that she it's not totally suicidal i think like she does believe that you know she at least has a shot like she kind of when buffy says like i'm no match of her and willow's like well maybe i am like like maybe i'm powerful enough and pissed off enough that i could actually win the yeah. fight like you feel like there is some confidence there it's not just like she's going in expecting to die or anything um but also so maybe there is a hope that she will actually like defeat her for once and all but also just the, the idea of it doesn't even it's not even about winning it's just about like that revenge like because that's what willow says is i owe you pain like, mm. you know, it's not even, maybe she is trying to kill her, but that's only one goal of this. The other goal is like, you made me feel pain. And so I will do the same to you. Um, right. You know, and like pairing that with, you know, Tara's comments about how frightening Willow's magic is becoming. It's like, yeah, when she goes in floating with her eyes, like, black and you know she's a little bit frightening um yeah so and, and shooting lightning like the emperor yeah at, right right yeah 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 so i mean not really a surprise that she you know isn't necessarily winning the fight and you know at the most buffy and willow between them can kind of slow her down well enough to escape but um kind of you know i guess more of a peek at what willow i guess what tara means when she says that willow frightens her it's like this is kind of a little peek at some of the ability that willow has that doesn't necessarily get shown all the time yeah well and this may be the first time it's been shown at all right you know right so, certainly to this extent it seems like um yeah yeah, I mean, we don't know everything that sort of Willow and Tara have done, maybe experimented with, you know, uh, magically, you know, before now. But this seems to be like she's pulling out all the stops. And mm -hmm. yeah, where where she might have been tentative or, you know, trying to do, um, you know, something here and there before, like this is definitely sort of beyond the pale as far as that goes yeah yeah um so for the other scoobies i don't have a lot of things um xander's you know comment about his supportiveness um you know is you know funny in that xander way but also like you know just that continuing like he, him trying to make a very serious point you know to buffy about you know whatever she needs and everything um and, uh, you know, Spike, or not Spike, Giles kind of 
being supportive in a different way by kind of not letting Buffy manipulate him into playing their parent, but like saying, you know, his way of being supportive is, you know, helping her to grow up and be the person that she needs to be and everything. Um, and, and then Anya's new patriotic, uh, you know, capitalist philosophy is definitely, it's definitely funny. Um, well, and it, you know, it, it's funny because like, it's not like this is necessarily new. It's just that now she has a name for it. Right. Right. So right. like, you know, like we got when um, they were being right. investigated the by the to... Watchers Council and stuff where like, she's like, oh, yes, I was born on the 4th of July and, you know, right, all right. that kind of there stuff. There were jokes about that. Um, yeah, yeah. And well, obviously like the, the, the money stuff. And the money stuff goes all the way back to like, can I trade in the kids for more cash? You know, like, <laughs> right. like ever since she first played the game of life, you know, right. financial uh, success has been sort of the, the goal. Um and the like the kind of she does get a kind of it's not just that it's not really greed per se it's like she gets like a rush from it it's like she has like a patriotic you know spiritual response to being like successful so it's like very funny and you know her comment about like when they're all saying how awful the hospital is you know it's like communism like that's the yeah. the worst insult that she can dredge up for this awful place. Um, yeah. She's a trip. Um, okay. So Glory and Ben, just to close with them really quickly, I feel like we get a couple, you know, not too much more, but a little bit more things with them. You get Ben getting fired because he is never at work. So, you know, the implication being that Glory's maybe spending more and more time in, like they don't have their lives completely, you know, portioned out in equal amounts that like, you know, she's kind of spending more time in control. And so he can, you know, he's gone two weeks without, you know, coming into work because presumably if he was in control, he would be coming into work. Yeah. Um, and and doesn't even seem to realize that it was that long. Right, right. Right. Like, and I think like I, so that it, this is Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say was it in the last one that Glory alluded to the fact that Ben's pushing back more like he's resisting, but it, this one mm -hmm. suggests that she's doing the same thing, like she's stealing time away from him. So there's like more of a struggle going on of them trying to sort of take time away from the other one, I guess. Um, yeah. So yeah, maybe he kind of started yeah. it and now she's pushing back and, you know, uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I don't know that um, I have much more to add to that. Just that um, he definitely doesn't see that he, I would agree, doesn't seem to be the one in control and that, um, you know, the fact that he doesn't sort of know how long he's out of commission for. Now, you know, maybe Glory doesn't either, but she also doesn't seem to care. Like, she doesn't have any reason to care about whether, you know, it was yesterday or two weeks ago, you know, no. when she comes back. It, she's she's much more like the, 
live it live in the now kind of right, uh, right. mentality of you know she'll do what she needs to do you know when she needs to do it but if she's gone for two weeks like i don't necessarily think that it would, although we have I, I will point out that we have uh there is a certain deadline to her finding the key like the, there right. there is a, a a sort of building frantic nature to it so that you know might also be sort of fueling her power right it's a not little like bit. she's She's not missing any responsibilities. It's just the annoyance of him taking time away from her search for the key seems like, you know, or if, you know, if like we talked about when she goes away, she goes to like a really awful, dark and hellish place, you know, there could like, that could be incentive to not, you know, to be in control is, you know, to not be in whatever sort of place they're in otherwise. Um, but yeah. So yeah. Well, and, and the, the boss, the doctor makes, you know, a sarcastic comment about like, you know, there's a wicked demonic creature living inside you that takes control of your body and forces you to do its bidding and like, Oh, ha ha ha. But like, you know that that's true. Right. So, um, you know, that's another idea is that, which hadn't necessarily occurred to me that like Ben is like a normal guy that just happens to have glory, like living inside him. And she just like takes over periodically. Um, you know, maybe he's not, I've been thinking of them as equals in some sense, but that might not be true. You know, he could just be a host for, you know, mm. uh, for her. So, um, I don't know, but we'll see, I guess. We shall see one way or the other. All right. So we should probably move on to Dr. Who. Yeah. To our last episode yeah. Of Doctor Who for for a while anyway. At least for a um, while, yeah. Yeah. Well, we kind of, of we kind of couldn't time have timed this any better, <laughs> but um, you know, seeing as we're catching up right in the moment that the show's going on like a long hiatus and <laughs> yeah. All right. So the husbands of River Song. Um, I guess let's start by talking about the husbands that we meet. Because, <laughs> um, well, I, so maybe even step back a little bit. Um, I don't, as, as as we've talked about in other episodes, I don't know that how much the actual plot here uh, matters that much um, because it all seems to be, of course, to sort of reintroduce uh the doctor and river um or at least introduce river to this doctor um mm -hmm. and sort of reintroduce the doctor to her um in his new form so of course we do that by you know sort of meeting her and she has no idea who he is uh, not only that but she's married not once it appears but more than once um right. we see uh two different 
husbands that she has, right? Only two, Hydroflax and Ramon. Um, yeah, and she mentions a second. She wife. mentions right. She mentions a second wife, which, which of course implies, implies that a first, there's a first wife. wife. Yeah, um, and you know who knows how many more there may be. Well, oh, and and when they're hurling names at each other, accusing each other of all the other relationships they've had, the doctor also mentions Stephen Fry. So there's another husband <laughs> that you can add to the list. Um. <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, of the ones that we actually meet in the episode, yeah. though, um, we get Hydroflax, uh, who is apparently the king of this world that they're on. Um, and, you know, again, like, not going too far into the plot, but, you know, he's he's sort of the reason why they get pulled there. Although, it's unclear to me. So from the plot device of the doctor sort of arriving and uh, River needing a surgeon and sending her, you know, guy out to get him. Um, mm -hmm. Clearly River wasn't in conference with the doctor. So does this surgeon never like show up or does, was he like showing up later or like they they never really address the fact that like, the doctor steps into this role of the surgeon. Um, right. But no other surgeon like shows up and like, right. You, you would think maybe he would. Um, yeah. I, I kind of imagine that maybe the surgeon showed up later and like, couldn't find him. Like, where is everybody? Like maybe he showed yeah. up for whatever the rendezvous was and like they were gone by then. And he maybe never really figured out what happened. Um, I don't, that's not based on anything. That's just sort of, you know, maybe there was a surgeon and they just like, he just got sort of left behind. Um, yep. Um, so anyway, you, you learned that uh, Hydroflax has a very precious gemstone in his head, the uh, most expensive diamond in the galaxy or the universe or whatever. And, uh, you know, River sort of admits that she didn't actually marry him so much as the diamond, um, mm -hmm. which seems a very River thing to do. Um, and and she sort of relies on her uh, status as an archaeologist um, and talks about wanting to give it back to like the culture, um, you know, that had it originally, but we learn later that it's more like sell it back to them. <laughs> like, right. like there, there's very much, um, she's walking the line between sort of the high and the low grounds, uh, between, mm -hmm. you know, you know, sort of claiming to want to recover this, uh, precious bit of stone, uh, you know, because it was stolen or whatever, but also being perfectly willing to accept a high finder's fee for it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, okay, like, that's a sham marriage. We we get that. Um, mm -hmm. Ramon. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could see that also as being sort of a marriage of a different kind of convenience. Um, Right. Almost, almost for almost similar to what she even says later about the doctor himself, you know, without knowing that she's talking to the doctor of, you know, that that he 
he sort of is good to have around every now and then, but you know, maybe, uh, she's not really, um, you know, that interested in him. And of course she says to him. now, the other question is whether or not they are actually married, uh, River and Ramon, mm. I mean, because, uh, he doesn't seem to think they are. <laughs> and then she says, oh yes, I, we are, but I erased it from your memory because you were irritating. And so the right. question is, is she lying in that moment or is she not like, right, right. are they really married and did she really erase it? Or is she just telling him that because it's convenient in the moment for some reason? I don't, I don't even know what the convenience would be to tell that lie, but right, right. maybe it's just sort of her psychopath nature. Uh, you know, maybe she's a compulsive liar, just like the doctor is. Um, right, right. Uh, well, and it feels like all oh, the doctor's marriages too, that like, Yes, he's been married multiple times to all these different people, but there's always some, like, circumstantial loophole to it as well. Um, like, none of them are ever really um, 100% uh, confer confirmed, I guess, or, you know, there's always, like, that that thing of, you know, how married are they really? So, mm. in the one sense, you both, you have both the doctor and river married to sort of multiple people over, you know, multiple period time zones and, and everything. But, um, you also have the way in which, well, are they really married to any of them? Um, right. And what does it mean you know, for the doctor yeah. to be married? Yeah. 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 Um, well, and of course they're married to each other. Right. Um, but again, only sort of, it depends on, <laughs> do you count the, Right. Parallel universe. Like there even with that, there is that there is that sort of loophole depending on how you want to look at it. Um you know, which is maybe kind of the metaphor for how they, you know, as these kind of immortal or at least long lived time travelers who sort of, you know, bop around time and out of out of order you know, maybe that's kind of explains how they have relationships is that in one sense, they have close, you know, bonded relationships. And in the other, they're really unattached, you know, they're, they can't ever really be a hundred percent attached to anybody. Um, you know, they can sort of in the moment, but then, you know, uh, sure. Looked at from a slightly other angle, you know, it's, it's, you know, there isn't any real commitment there. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, when we're in the same zip code, we're married. But, you know, if not, right. then. Right, right. Oh, well. All bets are <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but I think, okay, so ignoring sort of the first two husbands we talked about there um, and ignoring Stephen Fry as well. Uh, let's. I want to talk though a little bit about sort of the attitude because while I think you're right, like there, there does seem to have that, um, uh, you know, that idea of, you know, when they're not together, maybe they're not fully married or whatever you, whatever that might entail. Um, mm -hmm. but there does seem for each of them, there seems to be both sort of 
security and doubt um, related to the other. Uh, so mm-hmm. we sort of get it first from River. So I guess just sort of, sort of taking her first. Um, the doctor, when he notices, uh, you know, that she has the diary, um, which we've seen before, um, mm-hmm. we notice that you know, he notices that she has this diary and sort of asks about it. And and of course we know he's sort of like prompting her to talk about himself. Um, mm-hmm. And she sort of passes it off as like, you know, oh, it was given to her by someone, but like he's not all that important to her or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Which of course sort of upsets him. Um But we, we all, I mean, one, we, we know that that's not true, sort of, from the beginning. And, you know, her, her, her thought seems to be, um, I mean, initially her thought, you know, the, what she says to the doctor is that like, oh, he, you know, again, he's just someone who's sort of like handy to have around every once in a while, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no real feeling on her part. Um, But what we learn later uh sort of in her in her speech to uh you know the the new version of uh hydroflax or whatever um is mm. that you know the doctor in fact doesn't love her or at least mm. she thinks that the doctor doesn't love her and so so her initial attitude sort of seems to be you know a defense mechanism or whatever of yeah you know oh well, the doctor doesn't truly love me, so I don't truly love him kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I am I treat him as sort of a plaything because that's how he treats me. Um, sort of seems to be how we can read that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think her her sort of vociferous denial of you know, his love for her, um, and just saying, uh, you know, that he's off sort of, you know, doing whatever he wants without giving a damn about me and, you know, um, and admitting in those moments too, that she, she does love the doctor. It's like loving the stars themselves. You don't expect a sunset to admire you back. Um, and that there's actually quite a bit of feeling that she seems to have, um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't know that any of this is necessarily surprising to us, but I I don't know that we've ever quite gotten River, like, I don't know that we've ever heard her quite sort of declare it in that way before. And mm-hmm. And I think, to me, it seems like a lot of the reason for that is that this is because she believes that he's not there. Like, she, I mean, this is her you know, saying to people, uh, now she knows the meteor storm's coming or whatever, so she knows she's going to escape, or at least strongly suspect she's going to escape. Um, So, you know, there is that sense of, you know, she's she's doing what the doctor does and is maybe just talking a bit too, but I don't necessarily think that means we can't believe that what she's saying um, isn't in earnest. So, you know, I think uh, I think what we're seeing here is is a lot of you know a lot of it's just from her idea of 
the doctor isn't here. And so she's being maybe even a little more earnest or a little more frank than she would sort of in his presence, right? Because there, there's is always sort of a, a teasing, you know, mm-hmm. a, a playful relationship. And had she known the doctor was right there next to her, I doubt she would sort of be saying all of this uh, in quite that way. Um, and I don't think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've gotten that sort of same level of declaration. And certainly not in uh, in the sense of expressing her doubts about his love for her at the same time. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and, you know, it, you're you're right about that kind of switch that it does start as her kind of dismissing, like saying, well, he doesn't love me because, you know, he, uh, you know, is, is busy and doesn't care and can't be bothered and all these sorts of things. But then it kind of switches into, it's not even that she blames him for not loving her back it because she kind of has all these comparisons to how he's this sort of force of nature Mm. um and it's not it's not in it she doesn't really present it as i'm in an unfulfilling relationship it's it's in i'm in a relationship where almost like he isn't capable of loving me back you know Mm. like he wouldn't know what you meant by that or he wouldn't uh, be able to sort of understand it from that level. Um, it actually kind of reminds me of like at the beginning of the season, like the comments that Missy was saying to, uh, Clara about, you know, how far below the level of the time Lord she is like, you know, Mm. we're the couple and you're the puppy and, you know, uh, you know, rise above the level of, you know, petty romantic feeling and contemplate friendship, you know, like this, you know, you know, a very elemental sort of thing that mortals can't even comprehend. Um, That kind of seems like what, like, it's not even like Rivers saying, oh, you know, you know, I, I love him and, and I can't believe that he doesn't reciprocate. She's sort of even, I think like when the episode goes on and the doctor, you know, it tries at least to kind of communicate his feelings for her. That's kind of surprising. Like that, that he would even see it in those same terms. Um, So. Yeah. Like, I think that definitely that definitely is new. Um, and that like there, him being there, you know, uh, you know, he's not stupid or sentimental enough to, you know, be in trouble with her. It's, it's, you know, kind of getting into that idea that he is there, you know, he would be there because of her and not just because, well, he loves trouble. And so when we're in trouble, we're in it together. But like that idea that no, like he would do it for her, you know, he kind of, you know, in the moment when they're surrounded by enemies and she's kind of saying he wouldn't be stupid enough to be here. That's when he kind of shows himself to her and 
says like, no, actually I am here. Mm. Um, so. Yep. And, you know, the perfect revelation of that being the inversion of the phrase, hello, sweetie. Right. Uh, you know, but also you get the sense by her eyes at that point that she already knows, like it's, right. it's all but confirmed. Like yeah. she knows for all intents and purposes at that point, you know, who he is. Um, yeah. Well, and so sort of going the other way, um, you also get the doctor, you, you get a number of moments of his doubt too about her and her love. Uh, you know, obviously it's sort of the humorous ways of like, uh, you know, she doesn't recognize him and sort of all the funny moments of him, like, you know, really? Like this doesn't, you know, draw you know my repeated mentioning of i'm the doctor and like yeah you know um you, you know the fact that like he's so quick on the uptake about you know the inner workings of the tardis and stuff like and i really love how he overdoes it with his like bigger on the inside oh, yeah, revelation yeah. like like his absolute joyful overacting of like i'm gonna do this scene right like nobody's yeah. ever done it um yeah. But yeah, like even that doesn't, like he's holding nothing back and that doesn't clue her in. Um, yeah. You know, um, which could seem kind of thick, but you know, I think the point is made when she has the, you know, she has the, the list of faces, you know, as far yeah, as she like, knows, it's like she's not even looking for anymore. Instead of yeah. like children, it's all the doctor, you know. Which it sort of is children. Kind of like is these her, are her. Yeah. This is her well, <laughs> damsel that she has to keep, you know, rescuing. And I love that's like you know. her name for, or like right, code right. name or whatever. Right, oh, right. Have you seen damsel? It could be any one of these things. But yeah. even so, but even that in the funny moment, like he gets to the bottom, and you know, it stops with Matt Smith. Yeah. And like he looks at it, and and you do get that sense of like, oh, well, there's okay, well, she just hasn't met me yet. But at the same time, that thing of, you know, even when he brings up like, oh, maybe he's got a face you haven't seen yet. And she says, well, he has limits. And so, so it's not even just that he, like, she doesn't know him yet, but she doesn't even have, there's not even in her mind, the room for, for the possibility of him right. in this right. phase. So it's, it's not, you know, from that perspective, I think, like, it's not sort of too thick, you know, to think right, that, right. because she's thinking, you know, she, you know, presumably at some point he told her, we don't know necessarily at what point, um, you know, he told her that, uh, you know, he had a certain number of regeneration, you know, regenerations, and she would probably, you know, she would have known about the war doctor or whatever, and would know that, like, these are this is it, you know, like, the, right. you know, that there aren't going to be any more after my doctor, you know, uh, Matt Smith doctor, because that's, he's at the end there. And so without knowing all of the, you know, uh, Gallifrey stuff and, you know, all this stuff mm -hmm. sort of with the silence and, and, you know, living for hundreds of years on that planet there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like she wouldn't necessarily 
have any clue as to the fact that like it would be even possible for him to have another face and so um yeah no i think that does just, kind of it stops it from being too obvious is that she doesn't even yeah like you said this isn't even possible yeah. so she's not looking for it um yeah you know w which i think you know psychologically makes him realize that maybe maybe he's not as sort of a permanent fixture in her life as he thought he was right sure. because you know even the fact that like the fact that she has all of his faces right it's not just you know 10 and 11 right like mm -hmm. she has all of his faces so presumably she's gone back and met those other iterations of him mm -hmm. um maybe not necessarily but like you do get the sense like you know it's a for for as much as she uh sort of bemoans the fact that the diary was given to her by someone who is you know who knows when she's gonna die or whatever like it's still a 200 year old diary <laughs> like you know she she's still or she's 200 years old and so the diary is what like 180 you know so like mm -hmm. you know there there is this sense of you know she's been doing a lot of different stuff and if she's only writing down the stuff she does with the doctor. That's still a heck of a lot of things. And she must have gone back, you know, to other versions of it. So, you know, the fact that she, and I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. Cause we also like, like tenant doesn't seem to know who she is, but then there's maybe memory issues going on. So, you know, who knows? Right. Um, right. You know, but one way or the other, the, the, you know, the doctor now realizes that, like, there is a point, it seems, that not just that she'll be out of his life, because that's already had, like, we've already seen that story, right? That's silence in the library and, and all of that. Like, mm -hmm. we've already seen the point where she exits his life. Right. What we haven't seen is where he exits hers. Like, there's, there mm -hmm. seems to be a and I, I realize, like, even saying that, like, well, duh, no, of course, they're the same point, right? Well, no, like, he seems to realize that there's a point where he's no longer relevant to her life anymore, mm. um, you know, and that feels like it's the case here. Um, and so right. you get, you get, you know, you get his view of sort of, we've seen the doctor, like, untempered by companions and stuff before and and you get mm -hmm. things like the doctor victorious and you know <laughs> yeah. all of those yeah. you know sort of poor implications um you know for when that happens this seems to be you know his ability to see river untempered by him and and that's all we've ever seen with river before um mm -hmm. and, you know except for like a scene here and there you know like Okay, so the scene where she like escapes from prison, you know, like right. okay, the doctor's not there, but she's going to like meet the doctor or whatever. Or right. you know, even when um she might be in the middle of doing something and then like the doctor shows up, it's like, "Oh, well the doctor's there, she knows the doctor's there." And whatever may have been happening before that, her attitude adjusts, you know, appropriately. This is, you know, River without the doctor. Mm -hmm. except that it's river with the doctor she just doesn't know it <laughs> yeah. um and so you get sort of i feel like her in her attitude and her actions 
um, you get sort of a, a um, inflation of her sort of psychopathic tendencies, you know, like, sure. I mean, we know from the beginning that she was, she was raised as a psychopath. Like she would, you know, that was the intent, right? Right. She's not she, been secretive about that. Yeah. That, that she would, well, and like, we've, we've seen it. So, you know, um, but I do feel like there, as we've seen River, not that like she's necessary. she's always been more willing to sort of kill and, you know, like she's perfectly fine mm-hmm. with having a gun and, you know, stuff that maybe the doctor at least is less uh, uh, comfortable with, even if it doesn't necessarily stop him from killing or doing, you know, things. Right, right. Um, you know, but with her, like, that's not necessarily been a, uh, you know, something that she's hidden or whatever. But at the same time, like there, you do get a sense that when she is around the doctor, there's maybe a little bit of restraint there. And this is her without that restraint. She certainly seems even more like sort of willing to murder and steal and Mm -hmm. just sort of go her own way, you know, con, uh, you know, people into getting whatever it is that she's out to get. And just even think, so I know I said the plot wasn't that important, but maybe it's a little important because like even thinking about what the plot is, like, what really is the purpose here? Like to get money. She, 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 she tries to steal a gem. It gets embedded in this guy's head. And so now she's going to like cut his head off so she can sell it and get money. Like, like that seems to be the end game. There doesn't seem to be anything more than that. Um, Right. She kind of, the, the, the bit about, um, like, so you do have the kind of qualification of what a terrible, ruler he was you know that he's this sort of tyrant and everything to kind of you know ease the the conscience issues but the whole bit about uh you know giving the 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 diamond back to the people that it came from seems to just be a straight out lie like because they go straight to the you know the cruise ship where you know it's all the you know you know, the person that she's going to sell it to, like you said, to get the money, um, you know, and yeah. I mean, not only that, but it's again, a cruise ship full of tyrants and, you know, genocidal maniacs and everything. And again, you know, like you said, she knows the ship is going to crash. So it's not like, you know, she's on their side necessarily, but she's also not necessarily, out there as a vigilante crusading against them either it's sort of like in the pursuit of you know her own interest she's also gonna take out a couple baddies along the way but that doesn't negate the self-interest um you know whereas like it does seem like the doctor has on his own you know or at least compared to river on her own does have more Although maybe just as kind of willing to bend the morality rules at times does have more altruistic motives in the sense of it really is about, you know, okay, if we end up in a place where the people are oppressed, then we're going to, you know, take down the tyrant or lead some sort of revolt or, you know. Or or even with Dr. Victorious, it was to save someone's life. Like his, his attempt there was 
life-saving. It wasn't, oh, right. I'm using, you know, the disaster of this ship, which, okay, is full of bad people, so that's fine. Like, maybe we're not too sympathetic with them. But, like, it's not like he's using it for personal gain, which is totally what she seems to be doing. Right. In fact, it's hard to imagine... And again, this doesn't necessarily say the doctor is never selfish, but personal gain is a foreign concept. Like you can't imagine the doctor ever worrying about, you know, like he doesn't, he doesn't worry about money to the extent that he doesn't even necessarily understand or regard it. Um, You know, now maybe that's because he can easily get limited amounts of it, but like, you know, still like you can't imagine him you know, even if he overthrew a tyrant and got some reward, it's hard to imagine him, you know, keeping that for himself. Like, so even here, you know, when they finally do get to the crash site and they have the diamond, like he gives it to the guy to, you know, uh, you know, with the caveat of please build a restaurant, but basically hands that guy like, you know, billions of dollars or whatever, just just because, you know, because it's the first person he saw and why not? Um, yeah. Yep. Um, so, uh, all right. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know where to go from there. Um, given, given sort of the doctor, uh, uh, you know, his his seeing River sort of in this light, too. There's, you know, he, he does have these doubts about River's true feelings because, um, you know, again, she sort of talks about, uh, you know, telling men what they need to hear and that kind of thing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so with this sort of untempered River picture, you know, you don't just get the sort of psychopath aspect. But you also, well, I mean, I guess it ties into the psychopath aspect of that, you know, he has always just been sort of a tool for her. And you get his own doubts about her feelings and stuff. Until, of course, again, you sort of realize that that's a front. And that, you know, when she reveals her true feelings and, you know, that she is in love with the doctor, but she feels like he had never loved her. Um, and so I, you know, and I feel like actually just from a sort of like existential nature and, and I don't, I don't know that Dr. Who, I don't know that this episode in particular necessarily dwells on this fact, but I, I feel like you can sort of look at it in this, in, in sort of the same way that you can look at a lot of Whedon's work as well, because a lot of you know, a lot of the messages that he had, you know, I always, I always think of Mal as sort of, you know, from Firefly as sort of the quintessential thing, you know, everybody dies alone. Like, Mm -hmm. like no matter how many friends you make, no matter how many people are part of your crew or whatever, you know, or, or part of your Scooby group or whatever, like there's always that sense of, you know, uh, ultimately you're alone. And that Mm -hmm. seems to be, um, you know, at least for part of the episode, what the river, 
you know, what the doctor, I said the river, what the doctor and river are, you know, sort of feeling each in their own way mm -hmm. um, as, you know, even, even despite all of the adventures and all of, you know, the presumably happy uh, or happy-ish times that they've had together, um, mm -hmm. you know, as whatever, um, married, not married, partners in whatever different way they mm -hmm. could be partners. Um, the fact that like they're to this point, you know, when River's diary is almost done and when the doctor has presumably experienced most, if not all of his experiences with River at this point too, because mm -hmm. I feel like even though we've sort of seen the relationship non-sequentially, like, at this point in the relationship, they're both pretty, they both have pretty much near the end of it. Um, mm. You know, whereas, you know, even, you know, with like Silence in the Library, we know that's the last experience River has with the Doctor, but it's, uh, you know, the first experience of the Doctor. So it's, it's a very different, uh, you know, sort of, um, uh, uh, experience for each of them. This one I feel like is more congruent. Like it's they're they're very much at a sort of mature uh, level of their relationship. Um, even if though, even if they sort of took different routes to get there, they're both yeah. kind of in the same place at this point. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel don't, like that's I mean, I don't know of, what to say more about that, but yeah. Sure. I feel like that's kind of implied with the idea that, you know, he knows because River told him that this Derillium is the last place they ever went together. Um, that she told him that in silence in the library. So, like, when he hears the name, he knows that's significant. And there's, you know, this implication that, you know, she says, like, oh, you always wanted to take me here and you kept canceling. And so, like, that does feel like it's a very, he's never, he's never going to come here not knowingly. It's going to have to be a choice and it's going to have to be when he is ready and decides to do it. So however many times he considered it and canceled and put off, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, presumably the, the, the 11th doctor, the Matt Smith doctor did that. Um, you know, it does feel like, at least from the doctor's point of view, this is, you know, a final kind of accepting of that. Um, you know, and he says that to her, like, you know, not everything can be put off forever and all those sorts of things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and so I want to talk about that because it, it definitely does feel like a final moment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or a final ending. Like it's it's not quite a goodbye because, you know, they're still together for another 24 years or whatever, right. <laughs> you know, at the end of the, uh, right, you, right. Know, you know, when when we get the and they live happily ever after or whatever. Um, but the, I mean, the tone of it definitely feels like yeah. like this is we're not going to get more of River's story. Like, whatever, at least not as, you know, 
part of the i mean i know they i i know uh alex kingston has recorded like audiobooks and stuff with uh sure you know, other, sure but in at but, the narrative of the character in the tv show but this does for, feel like, for this yeah. this feels sort of final and and because i mean so for two reasons one because if now i suppose i suppose they could have gone to uh trillium to or is it Terillium or Durillium or whatever it is? I think it's Durillium. Um, maybe they went there more than once. Um, so maybe they sure. could go there again. And that's the next time, you know, the last time that uh, they're together. But uh, you don't get that sense here. You, you you definitely get the sense that this is the time. Um, right. And, and given that... Um, one because we already know that at this point like you know if if river really does go from here to the library and you know have that adventure or you know whatever may be in between that's not be you know with her and the doctor then mm-hmm. uh one we know that she's already seen all of his other faces but hasn't seen any future faces mm-hmm. um and also just uh you know, right. from the doctor's right. perspective, like the fact that he does know that that's what's happening next. Like, uh, you know, he knows where she's going and what's going to happen to her and stuff. And so, you know, having that 24 year long night, you know, together, uh, you know, does seem to be sort of like that. Like, it's enough time to like do everything you've ever wanted to do together, but like also to sort of be done with each other at the end, I guess, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, you, you know, cause it, cause then at that sure. point, you know, presuming, assuming that they've, that they do spend that time together. When you add that up with all of the moments and memories that are in river's diary already like that that right. is a marriage you know that's yeah yeah i you know i i don't know how you would add up 200 years worth of a diary because clearly there were stretches of time where they weren't together or whatever but you know yeah, yeah. that that's easily the length of a lifetime right they've together. lived a full life together um, yeah so you know even right. for uh travelers in time and space like you feel like that would be enough um enough for them to sort of right and for a period have their cake and eat it too (laughs) and for a period of time they're not uh limited by this out of order thing but get to spend a time of period together going at the same pace you know like this idea of like after their whole lives of only seeing each other in sort of little bursts and never really knowing which version of the other one they're going to meet and how much they know and can't tell each other anything. They are finally at a place where they can be in on, you know, be in the same place, going the same direction for a, for a long time. Like giving that kind of simulation of, you know, a real marriage or a real relationship if they've found that, you know, difficult before. Um, yeah. And I think adding to like the whole, you know, this is for a Christmas episode, that's pretty big and silly and, you know, 
action oriented and everything, it it has a really like kind of a downer of an ending because, you know, you have mm-hmm. to also think too that, um, you know, it's not just the end of the relationship, but Rivers going off to, you know, her death essentially too. Like, you know, there's not just the sadness of, which I don't know that she even catches on to that. Like, maybe she does with the implication of the diaries almost full, but that could signify the end of the relationship, you know? Because that's sort of, that's sort of how she talks about it is, this is the last time we spend together. You know, does that necessarily mean that that's the end of her life? Um, You know, maybe she thinks that's a possibility or maybe not. I don't know, but you know, he at least knows that that's the case. Like, you know, I mean, not if you want to count him saving the backup in the data warehouse and everything. I guess that's more life. But at least of her sort of primary physical existence, you know, that's right. what that's what is com- that's also what is coming to an end, not just their ability to see each other. Um so yeah. Yeah, and I hadn't thought of it. You're right that the fact of him doing this basically ensures that it's the end of the relationship because you're right in that she wouldn't have met any other future incarnations or else she would know that there are other faces out there. So the fact that he sort of goes through with, you know, having the day on the the night on Terillium sort of decides that you know officially that it kind of has to end here if the timeline is to be sort of preserved um and it has to be preserved because you know that's what she said to him back when they first met was like don't you dare rewrite the history because that's that would be the worst thing you know is you know that was her whole thing of, you know, not one line, don't you dare. Yeah. Um, yeah. So once he sort of makes it official and locks it in stone, there's not much room to, you know, uh, you know, change that in the future. It's kind of, he's pretty much assuring that they can't meet again. So um, happy Christmas. <laughs> Happy and there's even his thing of like, you know, no happily ever afters, no happy endings, you know, this is just reality and we have to sort of live with it. Um, which, you know, she kind of explains that not that's not necessarily what happily ever after, you know, means. It's more about living happily for your life. It doesn't mean you will live forever. Um, you know, sure. so that's kind of nice that the the words kind of, it, it ends on just happily, not on, it's not about the ever after. It's just, what are you doing? You know, are you living happily? And that's sort of, you know, where the, like kind of saying like, don't think about the fact that this is their last night. It's, it's, they have a happy 24 year night together while they're able to, I guess is right. Right. Sort of the idea. Right. Definitely. 
Okay. So, yeah, I mean, from a, again, like, we don't know. This is the last episode that exists until next year. So, um, don't know where it would potentially go in the future. Um, but definitely we know that Moffat is leaving soon. And he did say, you know, at, at, at the point that he was writing this, he thought potentially this was his last episode. Um, and kind of said, you know, I should really do one last thing with River while I have the chance. So sure. I think certainly for Moffat, this will be the last that, you know, we see that he ever gets to write for her. Um, you know, now, as you mentioned, she is doing some spinoff stuff and who knows where it goes in the future. But um, right, right. I think basically this is like, you know, the the exit of the character and everything. And it is nice to have that closure with silence in the library, you know, of coming around full circle. Um, sure. You know. From sure. from one of Moffat's sort of early episodes, which was really the first one that gave you an idea of what his his tenure as the showrunner would be like, to now like, okay, he's going to be leaving it soon, and it kind of closes, you know, the loop that way. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well. Unless you have any final parting thoughts on this, we should call uh, it an episode. Yeah. No, I think we'll just come back and do our, you know, season recap for Doctor Who and maybe even, I don't know what, but if we have any, like, larger thoughts about Doctor Who to say before we move on from it indefinitely, um, we'll do that. And yeah. 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 Well, and we'll be back with the first of the four episodes leading up to the finale uh, of Angel, which oh, I, is sort of a four-part story. Good Lord. I, I warned you about this. So, you know, for the next almost two months. Months. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we'll be... We'll be uh dealing with this but um it, oh, it's man. it's a good arc so i i think you'll enjoy it um and and just a little teaser this actually next episode of angel is the introduction of amy acker into uh angel so oh very uh, nice i yeah. wondered when she would show up well wonder no more <laughs> so all right we'll be back to talk about uh that next week along with our recap of season nine of doctor who all right see you then mm -hmm.